Thank you. That'll tap your toes, won't it? <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Welcome. Glad you are here today, and we uh, we welcome you. We welcome our guests, especially today. You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here with us today, and hope that God's going to bless you in a very special way. Uh, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheet on each row. We'd like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out, so we can have a record of your attendance with us. Just put your name and address and phone number and email address and check the appropriate box on there and we would certainly appreciate that. And especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, please be sure to put your uh, email address on there and we'll get you on the list. Uh, just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention today. Uh, first of all, our deacons will be hosting a, uh, a visitor social this evening. Uh, they, this is for people who have... Um, have visited Community Baptist Church, been visiting here, and shown some interest in our uh, congregation here. And it's just an informal time to uh, get to know you and to share some things about our church. And that's this evening at uh, 6 o'clock. So if you're a visitor that uh, is interested in um, our congregation, please come and uh, share this time. We're just going to it's going to be real informal, just some pizza and drinks and salads and stuff like that. And... Um, It'll be, a, it'll be a good time for, for all of us. Also, let me remind everybody about the Dawnings Retreat. That is March the 6th through the 8th at Georgetown College. And it's absolutely free. I think the only thing you'll have to pay for is a couple of meals, uh, a couple of lunches, I think it is. And um, so, uh, but I need to know if you're going to go. I need to know this week. So if you'd like to go to the Dawnings Retreat, that's, uh, we, we start Thursday about lunchtime, and we finish Saturday about lunchtime. And so if you would like to attend that, please let me know as soon as possible. I, I need to know this week so we can get all the reservations set and everything. Also uh, coming up very shortly is um, the season of Lent, Ash Wednesday, 
is on March the 5th, and that begins the season of Lent. And we'll be having an Ash Wednesday service here uh, that evening. That's a Wednesday night. And, um, uh, and then uh, our Lenten lunches that we participate in every year uh, will begin the following week. And you'll see the schedule of that in your, in your bulletin there. And so let me encourage you to go ahead and put those dates on your calendar. It is, this is one of my favorite uh, times of the year because it brings the, uh, the community of Christ of all different denominations here in Henderson together during this Lenten season as we, as we share in worship together uh, throughout this, the season of Lent. So let me invite you to put, your, put those on your calendar and show up. We usually begin at 12 with a short worship service, about a half an hour, and then we uh, share in fellowship with a meal afterwards. Uh, it's great to be here with each of you. It's good to share the love of Christ with all of you. And I would like to invite you now to do just that, to stand and share the love of Christ with one another.
join me in our responsive reading. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You heard me. Jesus himself tells us to be perfect, just as God is perfect. So what do we make of Jesus' admonition to be perfect? Could it be that God wants us to work harder at loving and accepting others the way God loves and accepts others unconditionally, blind to their faults, seeing them as forgiven in sight of God, and thus should be forgiven by us? Yeah, I think that's it. We can't truly be perfect in some kind of moralistic way, but we can fulfill our responsibility to love God and to love our fellow human beings unconditionally. Yeah, but you'll be better. Go for it. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen. Scripture reading is Mark chapter 5, beginning at 38. Jesus is preaching outdoors. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. But if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, my babies. Come down here with me. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm glad. Turn over here so I can see you. Hello. Now, we just read a responsive reading, and Jim just read out of Scripture about being perfect. Are you sure? You're sure we can't be perfect? Well, you know, I got to thinking about that. And so I thought, well, let me see if I can figure out what it means to be perfect to see whether or not I really can be perfect. So I started looking at things that helped me understand maybe what it means to be perfect. So I, I, I looked at some magazines. Here's, here's Seventeen magazine. It says to, um, she, she's, she's very beautiful. She's, and it says, look cute all spring. You can look cute all spring. You can wear cool clothes and, and pretty makeup and, and fun jewelry. Um, you can see it's got the 17 most powerful girls in under 21. Everybody makes, she doesn't. Look at her. She's beautiful. She's skinny. She's, it says she's brave. I don't know. She's probably one of those powerful ones. Well, I can't argue with you on that one. Um, here's one. She said she dates Justin Bieber. That's a big mistake. I can't argue that one. Here's one that says flat abs now. And um, how to lose. 5, 10, or 15 pounds. Um, that, that's got to make you perfect, right? Flat abs. <laughs> you know where your abs are right here in your stomach? I don't have flat abs. She does. So she must be perfect. Look at her. She's beautiful. She's not perfect. Okay. Well, if it's these magazines that don't tell me how to be perfect... Are you sure? Because the world says, the world says this is how you be perfect. This says you look cute, you wear the right makeup and the right jewelry and, you know, flat abs and fitness and beauty. If you're fit, you're beautiful, so evidently you must be perfect. Only G, oh, well, oh, oh. Well, they are beautiful, but they make mistakes. Well, now let's flip over here. Now, Jim read us some scripture. Oops. i got to flip it again. The scriptures, the Bible, and God tells us that to be perfect, we have to give forgiveness. This is an element of harmony. Of friendship. Yes, it is. Generosity. To be perfect, God says, we'd be generous. And you remember in the scripture it says, if somebody wants your shirt, you give them your cloak as well. Do you know what a cloak is? Cloak is your jacket. So if somebody wants your, your blouse, you give them your jacket too. That's generosity. It says to love everyone. The scripture says... To love that, this, that before it said to love those who love you. Jesus says to love everyone, even your enemies. Oh, I have to love people who don't like me to be, to be perfect for God? God says to be perfect, I have to love everybody, even those who don't love me? 
I know it. It's hard to love your enemies. Can you not hate your enemies? Okay, we'll do that. The scripture also says pray for everybody, even the ones who mistreat you. Well, now that's really hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for y'all, but when people mistreat me, when they don't treat me nice, and they're rude to me, that God tells us that we are to pray for them. If we're going to be perfect, we are going to pray for them. Hmm. Okay. And it says, include everybody. Because, you know, that the Bible says that even the people in the world love people who love them and speak to people who speak to me. But if I include everybody, whether you know them or not, whether you like them or not, that's God's definition of being perfect. So this is just kind of very different, isn't it? To go from looking cute and wearing cool clothes and having flat abs and being powerful and having money that the world says to be perfect to what God says is to be perfect. It's Thank you. We need to listen to God, not magazines. I like that. Well, all right. So this week I'm going to try really, really, really hard to do what God tells me to do this, this part. So let's pray together. God, we really do need to listen to you rather than what's on the front page of a magazine telling me how to be perfect. Because your word gives me so much more powerful instructions on forgiving and being generous and loving everybody and being kind. That doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I've got flat abs or cool jewelry. So God, help us to be perfect, to show your love this week. Amen. Thank you.
please pray with me? Lord, we give you all the praise and glory. We thank you for each day, each moment, and for each person represented here. Help us to lift each other up during times of trouble and to rejoice with each other during good times. Help us to help each other to discover our spiritual gifts and talents so we can further your ministry. Please take these tithes and offerings and let that to further your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. I think one of our children gave me uh, my sermon topic for next week. We need to listen to God, not magazines. What a great line. That'll preach. But today's sermon deals with the passage in which Jesus tells us that we need to be perfect. You know, I always like to open a sermon with some kind of a story or something that will get your attention. I'm told that that's a good thing for public speakers to do. And truth be told, I had an illustration about someone who was far from perfect talking about the necessity of being perfect. And I thought about using that as an illustration, but then I thought that it may be misunderstood and somebody may think that I was making fun of this person's imperfections. So I decided not to use it. So that set me to looking for some other illustration to use this morning. Now, I keep an index of all of my sermons that I've ever preached. All 1,430 of them. This one today makes 1,431. And so I wondered, what have I done in the past when I was preaching about being perfect? And so I went to my index and I consulted my index And wonder of wonders, I have never preached a sermon on the necessity of Christians to be perfect. And I guess that's probably because I am painfully aware of my own imperfections. And yes, I'm aware of yours too. (laughs) And with this awareness, I can confidently say, as can all of you, nobody's perfect. Can you say that with me? Nobody's perfect. Now, now some people may disagree with that. Because I, you've known them. You've known some people who think they're perfect, don't you? Yeah, you've known some of the. Some people think they're perfect, and some people may, may act like they're perfect. You know people like that. And, and usually when I'm in the presence of someone who has that haughty, holier-than-thou attitude, it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Honestly, I don't like people like that, and I, don't, and I don't think I'm alone. The fact is that nobody likes someone who is perfect. 
Mikhail Baryshnikov, the Russian ballet dancer, was once asked what he thought about the old Hollywood uh, movie star and dancer, Fred Astaire. And Baryshnikov said, what do th- dancers think about Fred Astaire? We hate him. He gives us a complex. He's too perfect. He never makes a mistake. And, and what an interesting that remark is from one of the world's greatest dancers. But it's true. Nobody likes someone who is perfect. The world crucifies people who are perfect. And we are certainly grateful that we are a part of a grace-based faith in which perfection is not required. Pastor Kerry Doyle tells about a bumper sticker that he once saw on a beat-up old pickup truck. The message on the bumper sticker said, Honk if something falls off. That's a great line. Honk if something falls off. Well, the bumper sticker was meant to be a funny way of acknowledging that the truck was not in the best of conditions. But it caused Doyle to think about that phrase, honk, if something falls off. And he thought about how he could apply that to his life in a community of faith. First of all, he thought that it was no small matter to know and to admit that you're not perfect. Whether your life is like that beat-up old pickup truck or, or maybe it's a spotless new Lexus, either way, none of us is perfect. And the sooner we admit that, the better off we are. That truck owner knew that he had a beat-up old truck, and it was susceptible to falling apart. He didn't need us to tell him that he was not the picture of perfection. He knew it, and he wanted us to know it, too. Now, you might say, well, if he knew that he might lose a part, he shouldn't be out on the road. And that may be. But what guarantee do you or I have that we will never lose a part of our truck along the road of life? Fact is that none of us is perfect, and our imperfections might just show up from time to time. Like an old truck who loses its muffler. Second, this driver, God bless his soul. He assumes that people will be so kind as to inform him if his truck drops a chunk of something along the way. With wear and age, this old truck might just lose something. And now this is not what he wants, but he knows that it may happen. Yet, says Doyle, he's an optimist. His expectation is that as he travels along the road of life, his fellow travelers are on the same road as he, and and if they see him lose something along the way, they will let him know with a friendly, informative honk, and maybe even a wave of the hand. But you know, this dear old driver obviously doesn't get off the farm very often, (laughs) because most of the honking out there is not very friendly. It may be informative, but what is being conveyed is is not usually helpful information. Usually, it is angry and critical and judging and shaming. And also, the waves that often accompany a blast of the horn are usually not of the full-fingered variety, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for, for most people, if you're a... If a part of your truck falls off, they're going to let you know about it, but there will probably not be much pity or compassion or understanding. Doral goes on to say, What I would give for the assumption that if my imperfections crop up at an inconvenient time and unbeknownst to me, you'll let me know. All the while assuring, assuming that it was nothing personal. Such a sweet and humble request. Honk if something falls off. It speaks of community. It speaks of a shared commitment to accept one another. It speaks of, a, of the ability to watch after one another and even to cover for one another. If one follows me long enough, says Doyle, they will indeed see something fall off. It, it's just going to happen. Do I want it? No. 
Can I prevent it? Sometimes, yes, but not all the time. Will it happen at a time and in a way that is inconvenient? Probably. Does it mean that I wanted it to happen? God forbid. But when it does happen, he says, may I ask a simple favor? Can we count on each other to honk if something falls off? Romans 15 verse 7 says, accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I love that verse of Scripture. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. No, we're not perfect. In fact, most of, most of us feel very uncomfortable being around people who come across as, as perfect. And let's face it, our whole theology of grace is based on the notion that we can't be perfect. That was the overriding theme of Paul's, all of Paul's writings, most of his writings. He couldn't live up to the law. And he knew it. In Romans, he said, I know that good does not dwell within me. For I want to do good, but I can't do good. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. So if I keep doing what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who does it, but it's the sin that lives within me. You see, Paul was tortured by his inability to be perfect, and, and yet... Here is Christ saying to us without any qualification, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Go figure. And they wonder why the Bible's confusing. <laughs> How can that be? Well, first of all, we need to see that Jesus is speaking about a very special kind of perfection here. You see, he is teaching us, he is telling us, that we need to be perfect in love. The verse about being perfect as God is perfect causes a lot of people headaches because taken just by itself, it sounds like Jesus is setting a standard for us that, that we can't possibly reach, that he was telling us to be sinless as he was sinless. But that's not what Jesus means here. And that's pretty clear in the original Greek. You see, the Greek word for perfect in this verse is, is teleos. But teleos does not mean sinless. There was another word, anamartitos, means sinless. That means sinless. Jesus used that word in John 8, verse 7, when he told the Pharisees, let any one of you who is anamartitos, without sin, let that person be the one to throw the first stone at her. So Jesus wasn't speaking about sinless perfection here, no. The word teleos that he uses here means complete. That's also clear from the context of this passage because you see, the, verse that comes, the verses that come before this verse say, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing that anyone else doesn't do? Even the pagans do that. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, the perfection that Jesus is asking from us here is a perfection in love. And this is a critical teaching that is so often ignored. Yet it distinguishes us from every other faith in the human family. It is the concept of agape love, the love of God, which is utterly and absolutely unconditional. It is a love that is way superior than anything that any human can muster. But look at how Jesus describes it. First of all, he tells us to love who? Our enemies. Now think about that. 
our natural inclination is to is to love our family and our friends, but but it's not it's not natural for us to love our enemies. Even the worst even the worst criminals on death row, they love their family, they love their friends. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. But Jesus said, if you love those who love you, big deal. And if you only greet your own people, so what? You're not doing anything that everybody else isn't already doing. And then he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see what Jesus is asking us to do? He is calling on us to love others just like God loves them. Completely and without condition. My friends, if you only love those who love you and and those who look like you and those who speak the same language that you speak or or, and value the same things that you value and vote the same way that you vote and, and, and you ignore everybody else or even despise everybody else, you might be a nice person. You may even be a, a good, responsible person, but you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to be complete in your love. And you need to seek a love that extends to everyone in the world. That is agape love. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be a child of God. God causes His Son to to rise on the evil and the good. God sends His reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't say, I'm going to cause tornadoes to, to fall on Iran and let the U.S. have only beautiful weather. God doesn't say, I'm going to cause a drought in Pakistan and make it make certain that the U.S. gets plenty of rain. God doesn't bless people according to their political philosophies or, or even their religious persuasions. Now, I know that, that some TV evangelists would like to, to send blight on certain cities like Hurricane Katrina on, on New Orleans. But folks, Jesus is very clear about this. God doesn't play like that. But here's what we need to get from this. Everyone we meet should be the object of our love. Everyone we meet should be the object of our love. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't use our common sense in dealing with others. But what it does mean is that our basic orientation is to bring God's love to everyone that we meet. And folks, this is at the very heart of Jesus' teachings. But unfortunately, many, if not most, of Jesus' admirers do not follow him in this way. There was a book a few years ago titled The 100, subtitled, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. Now, who do you think was ranked number one? Who would you think? I'm hearing Jesus from the choir. I'm pr- Maybe I'm preaching to the choir tonight. If you guess Jesus, you're wrong. Choir. Justin Bieber. And it's not Justin Bieber either. <laughs> According to this author, the number one ranked person of the most influential pers- person in history was Muhammad. Based on the fact that he has more followers. Now I'm going to stress that word followers. Not admirers, Followers. Number two was Isaac Newton, based on the idea that his discoveries formed the basis of all of our modern technology. But Jesus didn't show up on the list until number three. And here's why. It's not Jesus. It's not on Jesus. It's on us. The author says that 
He would have put Jesus at number one, especially because of the uniqueness of Jesus's teachings about loving your enemies. But here's why he doesn't get the number one ranking. He said these ideas about loving your enemies, which were not a part of the the Judaism of Jesus's day, nor any other religion, are among the most remarkable and original ethical ideas ever presented And if they were widely followed, he says, I would have no hesitation placing Jesus first in this book. But the truth is, they are not widely followed. In fact, they are not even generally accepted. Most Christians consider the injunction to love your enemy as, at most, an ideal that may may be realized in some perfect world but one which is not reasonable for our lives here and now. We do not normally practice it. We do not normally expect others to practice. We do not teach our children to practice it. Therefore, Jesus' most distinctive teaching remains just an intriguing but untried suggestion. Wow. Wow. I want you to think about that, folks, because if you really think about that for just a moment, it'll break your heart. This outside observer is saying to us that the primary reason we are not turning the world upside down is that we have, for all practical purposes, discarded Jesus's most distinctive teaching. In other words, we are no better than the world that we are trying to change. And so it's no world, no, it's no wonder that they're not impressed. But folks, it doesn't have to be that way. We can do better. We must do better at not just admiring Jesus, but following Jesus. And loving like Jesus did. Let me tell you about a woman who's trying to do better. Go with me back about 18 months ago to the the bombs that were planted at the Boston Marathon. Tamerlan Sarnev was the older of the two brothers who set the bombs in Boston. The one who died in the manhunt after And after this tragedy, you may remember that they were having a a hard time finding a cemetery that would take Tamerlan's body. Nobody wanted him to be buried in their town. But there was a woman named Martha Mullen. She was a Christian. She wasn't a Muslim. She was a Christian. And she felt compelled to respond to this. As reported on National Public Radio, Martha began contacting Islamic funeral services. And and after dozens of attempts, attempts, she she finally located a Muslim cemetery in Virginia that would accept Tamerlan's body. Reporter Audie Cornish asked Martha, who was a total stranger to the Sarnev family. She didn't even know these people. She asked her, why she chose to get involved with this, especially given the risk that she herself might be the target of angry protesters. And here's what Martha said. She said, it made me think of Jesus's words to love your enemies. I felt that Tamerlan was being maligned because he was he was a Muslim. And Jesus tells us in the parable of the Good Samaritan to love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor is, just, is not just somebody that you get along with, but it's someone who's different from you. And if I'm going to, to live out my faith, then I'm going to do that which is uncomfortable. I feel like it's the right thing to do and it's important to be true to the principles of your faith. And Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, you may not agree with what Martha did. But I hope you'll respect her for standing up for her convictions. Indeed, standing up for the teachings of Jesus. Be perfect in love. As your heavenly Father is perfect in love. It is Christ's most ignored command. 
but it is something for us to seriously consider. How can we go about showing agape, unconditional love for everyone to the world in which we live? Amen. Let's sing our closing hymn, a very appropriate hymn for concluding our service about being perfect, not morally, but perfect in love. Savior, teach me day, day by day love's sweet lessons to obey. Number 461. Sing with us. God, you have come among us this morning and you have manifested yourself to each of us here. You have shown us the Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation of our faith. You have made real to us that we are your temple, your dwelling place, the home of your Holy Spirit. And now as we go into this world, we pray that you would perfect your spirit in each of us. Teach us, O Lord, to love as you have loved us. Amen. We'll be taking an offering for Larry Haltom. His son died this week, and we'll be taking an offering for funeral expenses.